this week on Hope for the Broken. We are called to be ready. The Bible is so clear about what is waiting for us, how there will be weeping no more. No, there will be no tears anymore. If we would just devote ourselves to this small portion of life so that we would be with Jesus in eternity, there is so much more that is waiting for you and I when we are prepared a eternal banquet with Jesus. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we conclude our series called Let Earth Receive Her King. Here's our youth pastor, Eric Jones, with part five titled, The King is Coming Again. This month, we have been in our Christmas teaching series called Let Earth Receive Her King. And the king is promised, the king is announced, the king delivered, and that the king saves. We've tried to uh, talk about the truth of the reason um, of Christmas, which is that Jesus Christ came down from heaven to earth to save sinners like you and me. And so this morning, I get the opportunity to land this plane as we talk about the king is coming back again and the king returns. But as we begin, this is no way a message about the end times or my personal views of when I think Jesus is coming back. Um, so if, if that is what you want to hear, um, I'm sorry, you'll be uh, sadly mistaken. However, we will talk about one of the most impactful truths as a Christian, and it's the truth that Jesus is coming back for his church um, and that we are called to be prepared and being a faithful witness in our world for his glory. So if you would turn in your copy to God's word to Matthew chapter 25, um, starting at verse 1 through 13, we'll read our passage and uh, we'll see what the Lord would want to teach us. However, before we begin, I want to provide a little context that uh, help you and I as we unpack this passage uh, this morning. So we find ourselves in an analogy that Jesus uses as the backdrop, a first century Palestinian wedding festivities. And usually this was a huge elaborate ordeal. And uh, what usually would happen is the groomsmen would walk to um, the bride and the bridesmaid's home where the bridesmaids would be. And they would uh, go there, they would get the bride and the bridesmaid, and they would walk back to the groom's place where they would have a banquet. Well, it wasn't just a walking back and forth. What happened is that as they were walking and as they were going back through the city, there would be a huge processional welcoming to them. And so just imagine just imagine that on your biggest day, you get to walk through the town square of Mount Pleasant and everybody is throwing you a huge party as you get to go into wherever it is. Um, and they're 
saying how excited they are for you. Like, this is what it was. It was elaborate. The whole city was in on this. And so this is kind of the framework that Jesus is um, using as a backdrop. And so when they got to the groom's place, they would have a huge banquet wedding feast. And so that's the backdrop that Jesus uses um, in this analogy. So with this context and background, let's grab our Bibles and let's read Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13 together. Jesus says here in verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But when the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And so Jesus says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. In high school, one of my favorite subjects was English and reading. Um, I was really good at those subjects. Everything else Hogwash. Couldn't do it. Um, it was a no-go. And so I had my seventh grade reading teacher, Mrs. Barker. She, she uh, told me some of the most revolutionary information I had at that point. Um, and usually what happened for the tax test in Texas um, is uh, for the reading test, you would have a bunch of short stories where you had to answer critical questions about it. And so she told me, she said, Eric, let me give you some information. All of the answers are in the story. And she helped me understand that if I would just look for the main idea, which is usually the first sentence or the last sentence, it would help me out greatly. And so for me, that was all the ammo I needed because I was test insecure or however you want to say it. I was a terrible test taker. And so for me, that helped me. And so in the same way, when we look at our passage this morning, if we look at the last verse, verse 13, where Jesus says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The G Jesus is telling us a couple things here. First, he's saying that he is coming back. And the reason why he says that is to prepare us for his return. And so that's my hope this morning. And as we study our text, I want us to see three things that this text teaches you and I. First, we'll see the call to be prepared. Second, we'll see the challenge to be prepared. And third, we'll see the consequences of being prepared. My prayer and hope is that you would be encouraged to be prepared for the king's return. So the first truth that Jesus teaches us in his text is the call to be 
prepared. Look back with me at verses 1 through 4. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. The first, these first four voice verses help us to understand the importance and the need and the call to be prepared as God's people. In this analogy, we meet our first characters. We meet um, the ten virgins. We meet five of them who were wise and five of them who were foolish. And the difference between the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins is simply the amount of oil that they were prepared for. More plainly put, the difference between a wise Christian and a foolish Christian is the one who is prepared for when Jesus comes back. And so I want to lay before you three ways that how we can be prepared. First, the Bible prepares us. Psalm 119, 105 instructs you and I as Christians on how to be prepared by saying, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Church, God's word is more than just words on a page. God's word is more than just insights into our world. God's word, the Bible, the scriptures is the primary means that God uses, that Jesus uses to shape you and I as his people. It is the very thing that God has given us to shape you, to mold you, to become more into the image of Jesus Christ. The Bible does that. And so when we spend time reading and meditating and considering the words in the Bible, we're allowing scripture to prepare and treat the symptoms of our heart. Second, our proximity to God helps prepare us for Christ's return. When we are in God's word, as a result, our proximity to Christ will change. This is the weirdest thing ever, and I promise you that it's true. Have you ever noticed that when you are having a conversation with someone who has an accent, Maybe it's just me, but do you feel the insensitive urge to mimic that accent? Do you? Okay, so I'm not alone. I get that. And, and it's true, but it is a real thing. I promise you, it's a real thing known as accent mirroring or phonetic convergence. It's a natural human behavior that often occurs unconsciously as a way to build rapport and establish a connection with the person you're speaking to. Imagine that. I promise you it's real. But in the same way that our brains try to connect with someone when we are having a conversation as an accent, it's the same way that our proximity to Jesus grows and gets closer the more we are in God's word. And so I would say, what does your proximity to Jesus look like? And we can see that. You can measure that. You can often see a correlation there with your time in God's word, your time meditating and considering and being in God's word with your proximity to Jesus. Lastly, we can prepare ourselves for Christ's return in true biblical community. This is more than just going to church. This is getting plugged into a group 
serving on a team, and moving the mission forward. It's moving the mission of God forward. When we allow ourselves, church, to be in biblical community, we are allowing the word of God to be made alive through the people of God so that we can better proclaim the message of God. When we allow ourselves to be in true biblical community, we are allowing God's word, the very words of God, to be made alive through his people, through the church, through through the people of God, so that you and I can faithfully proclaim the message of God. We ought to have people in our lives that we can both lean on and someone could put the mirror of God's word to your life and ask you what is going on, ask you to confess sin so that you can faithfully proclaim the message of Christ in your world. Biblical community helps us to be transformed and to transform our hearts. We can never expect, church, to be fully loved and accepted if we are unable to be fully seen and known. If we seek to be fully known by God's people, we have to be willing to be fully known. When Jesus returns, he will be returning for a bride that is in biblical community with one another, who has been conformed to the image of the Son through God's word and who has close proximity to Jesus. In short, Jesus is coming back for a church that, could, that took the call to be prepared seriously. The second truth we see in our passage is the challenge to be prepared. Look back with me to verses 5 through 9. It says, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But when the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. There is nothing more frustrating than knowing someone is coming, but not knowing the time. So I can remember as an athlete, in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and some of my 10th grade years, when I would get out of practice, um, and I didn't drive at those times, obviously, where I got out of practice, and I had to wait for my parents to come pick me up. And usually what that scene looked like is that there were a slew, I mean, a handful, a lot of students out there waiting for their ride. Buses didn't come because it was after school, usually about 5.30 or 6. And so what happened is I would be sitting there and I would know my parents are coming, but I didn't have an exact time and it was frustrating. And I got a little discouraged when I saw everybody else starting to leave. I saw my friends leave. And then usually what happened is I would possibly pull out my phone and start, you know, looking and texting my parents, saying, hey, you're on your way. Start calling them, hey, hey, you're on your way. And then when everybody started to leave, I started to check, you know, those cars coming in, the headlights, like, oh, is that my parents? No, that's not them. You know, seeing everybody drive by and not my parents come. And but after a while, you start to get a little discouraged and then start to get a little angry. And like, I know my parents didn't leave me. 
And I think we all know how frustrating and how annoying it is to be waiting because there are some of you in this room right now who gets frustrated and the first person to ask, where is everybody when there is a meeting at 10 a.m. and at 10.03, no one's there or only a few people there. You know who that person is. If you don't, it's you. We all know the frustration it is, the temptation and challenge for you and I as God's people while waiting on the return of Jesus is becoming spiritually lazy and lethargic. We see it in the text. Look back with me at verse 5. It says, they all became drowsy and slept. The virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom got sleepy because the groom was delayed. He had not been there yet. We do the same exact thing in our walk because Christ has not came back yet or we have not seen some great, amazing sign in the skies. Our inclination is to become more comfortable in our walk and to become more comfortable sometimes with the things that we're doing. So how do we get spiritually lazy? One way I believe we become spiritually lazy is when we prioritize good things over God things. This is when we allow a multitude of things to get and take priority and precedent over the things that God has called us to do. It takes many forms through many different situations. For some, you place the opinions of others over sharing your faith. You choose a job promotion over living out biblical principles because you may not want to seem like that Christian who was just too much. Students, you become spiritually lazy when you consider the opinions of your friends and other people you've never met on social media over the truths of God's word spoken to you through Christ-following parents. And so in this analogy that Jesus shares with you and I, the oil that separated the foolish Christian from the wise Christian speaks to the witness in their life. Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16 gives us a point of reference for this by saying, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, when we become spiritually lazy, we are not living in the Christian witness that we are called to do. We are not letting our light shine that is within us, that is called Christ, that we are called to let shine in our workplaces, in our homes, how we live in front of our our friends, how we live in front of people who don't know the Lord, how we live in front of our kids, our toddlers. It is the way through you that Jesus portrays himself when we let our light shine. So how do we move forward if we are found to be spiritually lazy? In Revelation 2.5, God shares with the church in Ephesus about the same thing. And he says this, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. We need to do three things, church. We need to remember, we need to repent, and we need to renew. We need to remember the love that we had when we first came to Christ. 
the things we did, how we were always in God's Word. We couldn't be found without a conversation about Jesus, about what He had done in our life. We need to remember the things that we did at first. And second, we need to repent. Repentance is not just a, I'm saying I'm sorry, but repentance is an action, is an action plan to turn from being spiritually lazy, to turn from wickedness, from turn from sin, and turn towards Jesus, turn towards the Father, turn towards Jesus. And we need to renew our commitment and our lives to live for the Lord moving forward. The challenge of being prepared is that we become spiritually lazy and lethargic. But the good news of the gospel church is life to our bones. It is life to our bodies. The last truth that we see in our passage is the consequence of being prepared. Look back with me at verses 10 through 13 of this chapter. Jesus says, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came And those who were ready went in with them to the marriage feast and shut the door, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Church, I want to address two things specifically. I want to address being prepared, the consequences of being prepared, and the consequences of being unprepared. As a boy growing up, we went to church faithfully every Sunday. And my dad would say the night before, he would say the time that he was going to leave. And so uh, do you know what happened when I wasn't ready? When that time had came, we were all left. But I found out the issue came in when I found out that if I went with my dad, I got breakfast. I got donuts. And so (laughs) that sounds just like a kid, but that was real. That was real. But I got donuts. And so you know what I was doing at that time that my dad had said? Not only was I ready, but church, I was at the door. I was ready to go. Like like, no ifs, ands, or buts. I was ready to go. The same is true when Jesus returns. We are called to be ready. The Bible is so clear about what is waiting for us, how there will be weeping no more. No, there will be no tears anymore. If we would just devote ourselves to this small portion of life so that we would be with Jesus in eternity, there is so much more that is waiting for you and I when we are prepared an eternal banquet with Jesus. The consequences of not being prepared is stated here also. Look back with me at verse 12. Jesus says to the virgins who were not ready, who were unprepared, he says, truly I say to you, I do not know you. The question in heart check here is, do you know Jesus? Not do you know about him. Not do you know facts and trivial information about him, but do you know Jesus? Today, many people know Jesus. They know that he is the son of God, born of a virgin, died on the cross, resurrected three days later, and is promised to come back again. James 2.19 says even the demons believe that. Church, in our world, everyone's a Christian. 
We are so Christian that we can know how Christian you are by the party that you voted for or what part of town that you live in or by what news network that you watch. We are so Christian that we know if you are a true follower of Christ, if you are a cross around your neck or have a Bible verse written on your bio or if you have a Christian tattoo, this is how Christian we are. The truth of the matter is that we have based our Christianity on what we have done instead of what Jesus has done. And the scary thing about focusing on what we do is that we can come to church day in and day out, Sunday after Sunday, and we can receive the affirmations from God's people, from other people, about how well we're doing. We can come to church each Sunday and somebody see you faithfully come to church, which is a good thing, but they'll go to you and say, man, you're such a faithful follower of Jesus. You are following the Lord so closely. Or maybe uh, people are having conversations with you and they notice that you are quoting scripture every third word or every third sentence. And they say, man, I love how, how you are so in God's word. We are seeking the affirmation of our Christianity and our faith based on outward things. But in reality, we should be basing our faith and our hope not in people, but in Jesus. This is, there is only one thing And one person that saves us in his name is Jesus Christ. You can't be born into the faith. You must make a personal decision. And so the question this morning, church, is not just do you know Jesus, but does Jesus know you? To sum this all up, we are called to be prepared for the king's return, to overcome the challenges of being prepared and experience the joy that comes when we are prepared. Church, are you prepared? The King is coming back. Are you prepared? You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.